Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon and a happy hump day, Wednesday, October 5th, the year 2022. It's the final day of the regular season of Major League Baseball. So the Houston Astros will wrap things up this afternoon against the Philadelphia Phillies. First pitch is set for 3 o'clock. And you can listen to all the action live on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, meaning we will go for half of our normal allotted time. We're here for one hour today from 2 to 3 p.m. With that in mind, my main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studio, spinning the tunes, pushing all the right buttons. He's on the campus of Delta Media which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on, as mentioned, 1041 in Lake Charles. We're streaming around the world, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area with a television set nearby, uh, get that remote control, pop it on, because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. All right. The judge has his verdict. Here's the 1-1. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. Just think of it. Three Yankee right fielders. The Babe hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge hits his 62nd home run the most home runs any American leaguer has hit in a single season. And the American League has been alive for 120 years. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. Yes, indeed. The ball launched into the front row of Section 31 in left field. A drive judge hit to lead off the second game of a day-night doubleheader against the Texas Rangers. The lucky fan, Corey Yeomans, caught the ball on the fly. He um, He's from Dallas, works in the financial world. There's no telling yet what that baseball could be worth. Security personnel were all around him as he took the ball to be authenticated. He was asked what he planned with the do, what to do with the prize. Good question. I haven't thought about it, he said. Uh, so, um, Yeomans was part of a crowd of 38,832, the largest to watch a baseball game at the three-year-old ballpark. The Yankees lost the double, the second game of the doubleheader three to two. Judge said he didn't have possession of the home run ball. Quote, I don't know where it's at. 
We'll see what happens with that. It would be great to get it back, but that's a souvenir for a fan. He made a great catch out there, and he's got every right to it. So we will see. He'll get the ball back, um, and we'll see what Mr. Yeomans uh, asks for in return. Uh, The New Orleans Saints have shaken up their practice squad with a flurry of transactions, including the addition of veteran defensive back Chris Harris. In addition to Harris on board, the Saints also signed fullback Adam Prentice, defensive back Jordan Brown to the practice squad. In corresponding moves, they released defensive back Trey Swilling and waived defensive back Demarcus Fields from the active roster. Harris is the most notable name. He's an 11-year veteran who earlier in his career accumulated a first-team All-Pro nod and four Pro Bowl appearances with the Denver Broncos. So along with the Honey Badger and Cam Jordan, Harris was named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame's 2010's All-Decade team. Um, He's 33 years old. He's appeared in 162 games in his NFL career, recording 22 interceptions with four pick sixes and 94 passes broken up. He was teammates with St. Corner Bradley Roby on the Broncos 2015 Super Bowl champion team. So there you go. The Pelicans got their uh, action underway last night. It doesn't matter. Uh, If you win or you lose, it's how you play the game. And the most important thing was Zion Williamson was smiling. Um, He had 13 points in 15 minutes. He was giving the basketball up, doing what he had to do. The Pelicans win at 129-125 without the services of um, Trey Murphy, without the services of Brandon Ingram. But this team looked good. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Dyson Daniels, their rookie first-round pick, uh, had 15 points in 23 minutes. Um, Gives them some – he's going to be a good player. Had three steals, had two blocks. Uh, He does a little bit of everything. He's got to work on his his shot. But um, he's going to be a good player. I don't know if there's any question about it. And the Pels, their spacing was terrific. Their ball movement was terrific. It was a terrific first start. They'll play again Friday against the Detroit Pistons. Our guest list today will take you behind enemy lines. John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel will join us to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate will talk about the LSU Tigers. And then we'll get on out of here. It'll be a fast fun-filled hour of uh, what we hope will be information and entertainment without question, without doubt. So um, with that in mind, the game wants you to face your worst nightmares by hooking you up with the tickets to one of the top haunted attractions in the country, the 13th Gate. Just text the word GATE, G-A-T-E, to 337-283-8100 to enter to win a pair of general admission passes. That's GATE to 337-283-8100. Get your scare on this Halloween season at the 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. John Adams talking volunteers when we return to the Jordy Heltberg Show here on the game. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We are back, and it's time to take you to Knoxville, Tennessee, because the Vols are coming. One of the better Tennessee teams to come to Tiger Stadium in quite some time. And he's been in Baton Rouge. He's been in Knoxville. He's been all over the place. Now with the Knoxville News Sentinel, one of the best in the business, covering the Tennessee Volunteers, the legendary John Adams. Big John, how have you been, sir? I'm doing well, Jordy. How are you? I'm terrific. So is that accurate to say this is one of the best uh, uh, Tennessee teams to come to Baton Rouge in quite some time? Yes. Uh, not really a high bar, though. Um, <laughs> you go back. I don't, I don't think uh, any books have been written about that 2010 team that well. showed up in uh, Baton Rouge and couldn't <laughs> figure out how to count to 11 on defense. Man. Well, Les Miles couldn't count the clock, and Derek Dooley couldn't figure out how, you know, he tried to sneak 13 on the field and get away with it, but that just didn't happen. No, it just couldn't quite pull it off, but, you know, it's a gamble. Yeah. Uh, LSU fans feel a lot better with the coach they have on their sideline now as far as being able to manage a game and get people in the right positions in Brian Kelly. What do the Vols think about Josh Heupel? I think uh, Tennessee fans overall feel really good about him. Jordy, he's the pro- since I've been here, I've been here since 87. Yeah. And he's the first coach that I really thought on game day is a big factor. Uh, he's such a good offensive coach. He has an uncanny way of, of getting receivers open in this system. Uh, he goes up tempo, he spreads the field. And he really can manage a game offensively. I, I, and I think fans realize this. Uh, they were actually more critical than I thought they would be after the narrow win over Florida. They were uh, all upset over how bad Tennessee's defense is. And it is pretty bad at times. But the offense is so good. To beat Tennessee, to beat that Josh Heupel offense, you have to score a lot of points. Uh, he's yeah. going to score on everybody. He's, yeah. Um, it all starts with the quarterback. How good is Hendon Hooker? You've seen a lot of good quarterbacks in this conference. How good is he? Uh, you know, he's uh, he's an interesting player. He, he's not what I thought he would be when he came here. And he has an un- unusual skill set combo, I think. And then he is a playmaker. He can really run. He's really good at, at, at seeing the field and seeing where to run. He's just really mm-hmm. good at picking his spots and deciding when to run, when to stay in the pocket and try and find an open receiver. But he has that combination of playmaking ability, yet he's also very protective of the, of the football. He just doesn't throw interceptions, hasn't thrown one this year, mm. uh, threw a couple last year. But uh, just, uh, you know, he... He just doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and uh, in that in this offense, that that makes the offense even better. And that they are they can make big plays, they don't make a lot of bad big plays. Yeah, it's kind of like LSU with Jaden Daniels. He, uh, but 
But LSU fans and Brian Kelly, you know, he only threw for like 80 yards Alaska. Hadn't thrown an interception. Doesn't take many chances. He, he's more of a runner than a thrower, but they're trying to get him to throw the ball down the field a little bit because that might be one of the weak links of Tennessee this year is their pass defense. They, they seem to give up quite a few yards per game. Uh, very much so. Uh, and they did that at Florida against Florida. Florida has a really pedestrian group of wide receivers. LSU's mm-hmm. receivers, they're, they're better at every receiver position than Florida. But you got them the you got to get them the ball. I think uh, going into the Florida game, I thought the best way to, for Florida to, to beat Tennessee would be to, would be to run the ball, run the clock, uh, you know, keep Tennessee's offense off the field. Instead, Billy Napier, to his credit, said, "We're just going for it. Mm-hmm. We're going to attack that secondary. We're going to gamble on every fourth down and go for the first down." And it really worked. And from I've seen LSU and and all but the New Mexico game, so I think LSU's best shot against Tennessee is to go up tempo, because Jaden Daniel strikes me as one of those quarterbacks yeah. when he's in a hurry up, and he doesn't have a lot of time to think about what's going on. He just got to run a bunch of plays and and keep yeah. moving the ball. We're running out of time, and he just seems to get in a groove when he does that. And 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 plus the factor he can run. So he's very much like Hendon Hooker. He might be a little more elusive in the open field than Hooker. But uh, I I just think that might be LSU's best shot. I don't know how much Brian Kelly would commit to that. But Brian Kelly's a really good coach, and he's won wherever he's been. So I would think he would have a good plan plan on on how to attack Tennessee and and also on on how to defend that up-tempo offense. He is John Adams, the Knoxville News Sentinel. You went on the road for one game. I thought it was a very big game at the time, back on September the 10th, and the Vols went up to Pitt uh, and beat the Panthers uh, in overtime, 34-27. What did you learn about that team on the road, and how do you think that will help them Saturday, albeit in a in a breakfast game in Tiger Stadium? Well, obviously uh... – Pitt Stadium is not comparable to Tiger Stadium. Right, so, right. It's uh, not nearly as much of a hostile venue, and it won't be as loud. But the main thing I think Tennessee fans learn from that game is, unlike so many Tennessee teams in seasons past, over the last 14 years or so, um, it handles adversity well. And mm. I think a lot of this is due to uh, Josh Heifel, He's got a very calm demeanor about him. He just he, he can handle adversity. If things go, don't go right offensively, he goes three and out. He shrugs it off and thinks, well, we'll just score next time. But mm-hmm. the team seems to take it on his personality, as teams so often do with their coach. And I just think uh, they proved against Pittsburgh, and they proved it again against Florida. They were able, in tough games, close games, they were able to prevail, and they have a long history of not doing that. So I think it will be a close game Saturday in Tiger Stadium, and I think Tennessee uh, will be able to handle that very well. I think it's just a confident, very confident team right now. Uh, I think of Johnny Majors. I think of Phil Fulmer. Tennessee's never seen a coach like this, have they? Up-tempo plays. They had Lane Kiffin for a year. 
That's and right. He was a great offensive coach. Yeah. But he, he moved on. He was only here a year. And yeah, I, thought I forgot he about got that. The most offensive personnel the year he was here. And Tennessee had David Cutcliffe for a long time as an offensive coordinator, and he really ran the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very good. But I really think Josh Heifel's the best they had. Wow. That's something. Uh, John Adams with us. So it comes down to, to me, I know LSU's offense is going to have to to carry their weight. They are. LSU's defense seems to get better and better, but they seem to re- open up their eyes once they've been scored upon. LSU can't fall behind 13-zip like they did against Mississippi State or 17-zip like they did against Auburn. They can't catch up to Tennessee if they do that, can they? Uh, probably not, Jordy. I think one thing you just have to constantly be aware of when you're playing Tennessee is just keep pressing on the accelerator. You just have to score a lot of points mm-hmm. because I don't think you, you're going to win any other way. You just got to assume, and I know LSU has some talented defensive players, but you just have to assume that Tennessee will find a way to score. Yeah. Uh, receivers get open in this system, and Hendon Hooker's often able to hit them. Uh, you got a good receiver that's been hurt. Is he coming back for this one? Uh, they say day to day. My guess would be no. Uh, okay. I think he sat out last week's game. It didn't um, last week. Uh, the game against Florida, he set that out. Right. I think they're probably hoping he can be ready for Alabama. They'll need him uh, against Alabama. But Tennessee's got other good receivers. And Jalen okay. Hyatt in the slot, the slot receiver really plays a major role in this offense because he's he blocks some. But he also gets opportunities to go deep. And Jalen Hyatt's got good speed. And he will be should be a prime concern of, uh, of LSU's defense. So I think they can they can get by without Tillman for another week. But okay. but who knows? I mean, it's impossible to gauge right. who's going to be healthy and who who won't be healthy in college football today because coaches aren't going to they aren't going to give you much information on that. Well, John, I know we got to get out of here so you can go do your next gig. Uh, but uh, you were, I, I was told you were the uh, clothier stylist for the the Vols bringing the gray jerseys, gray pants with the orange numbers and stripes. So uh, you are the fashion king, my friend. Thank you. Well, thanks, Joe. Actually, I recommended pastels, and they went the other way. <laughs> Oh, uh, what what shot do you give LSU to win this thing, or are you picking Tennessee to to win comfortably? Uh, it won't be comfortable. I think it'll be a close game. I I pick Tennessee by a touchdown, but I think okay. it could, should be a very close game. John Adams, Knoxville News Sentinel. Thank you, buddy. Really do appreciate Thanks. it, man. We'll talk to you when when hoop season rolls around. Good deal. All right, buddy. John Adams, Knoxville News Sentinel. So, um. It's a high-powered offense. LSU's offense is going to have to do their job. The ideal thing, of course, is time of possession. Although against teams like Tennessee, they they kind of score quick. So, you, but you got to control it, and you, you got to keep your defense off the field and and let them catch their breath. Because once they're on the field, they're not coming off the field because it's high tempo. Boom, 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 boom. You don't get to sub. You just don't. So LSU is going to have to do their part offensively. They're going to have to do their part defensively. And, of course, special teams, uh, you know, it's a typical thing. All three phases are going to have to play their best game of the year. 
No question. And just like Auburn and LSU games always tend to be crazy, you look at the history of LSU and Tennessee, that's pretty darn crazy as well. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes about it. Um, tune in tonight from 7 to 8 for the McNeese Coaches Show, presented by Maplewood Burgers. Line a bed out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. My buddy Jim Gazzolo will be talking tonight with head football coach Gary Goff as the McNeese Coaches Show will be broadcasting from Maplewood Burgers at 4453 Nelson Road. Tune in tonight for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. We will take a time out here when we come back. Uh, Wilson Alexander of uh, The Advocate will talk about the Tigers. Jaden Daniels and the receivers having this little one-on-one meeting and talking things out. Is this passing game going to open up? Well, um, not only will that have to open up, but that running game has to get going as well. So we'll talk about the Tigers and what they need to do to upset the Vols after this timeout on the Jordy Hulpert Show here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Houston Astros, who wrap up the regular season today, 3 o'clock first pitch against the Philadelphia Phillies right here on the game, and the LSU Tigers with that 11 o'clock kickoff on Saturday against the Tennessee Volunteers pregame at 9 right here on the game. Absolutely. We're everywhere. We'll be right back. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back. 30 minutes, 31 minutes after the hour on this uh, Wednesday, October the 5th. Beautiful Chamber of Commerce Day. We went uh, to Knoxville. We found out about the Tennessee Volunteers with John Adams. Uh, let's get the very latest on the LSU Tigers as they uh, continue their preparation for the big Saturday 11 a.m. showdown in Tiger Stadium with their eighth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers coming to town. Wilson Alexander, kind enough to join us. Hey, big guy. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Jordy. How are you? I'm terrific. Um so 85 yards passing is not going to get it done. Uh, but it's a new week, says Brian Kelly. So um, wh- what do you think about this passing attack? Why has it been so ineffective? And if it were so easy to get it uh, effective, wouldn't they have done it a while back? <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't a complicated uh, yeah. thing with multiple sort of issues, yeah, they would have. It wouldn't. We wouldn't. Wouldn't even be talking about it. But it is a complicated right. thing. You know, this, yeah. part of it is on Jaden Daniels. Part of it's on the receivers. Part of it may even be on the play calling. Um, okay. The big thing is that LSU has to be more aggressive throwing the ball downfield. That's what Brian Kelly said Monday. He was very clear in that they're too conservative right now, uh, and you know, partially again, it could be play calling. But part of it is also Jaden Daniels' decision making. He's got to be willing to give the receivers a chance. Um, when they've got a ball downfield, he's got to throw with better anticipation. Um, he has, I think, been getting better at sort of going through his progressions and not just running when he doesn't see his first read. Um, you know, it looks like his head's turning and he's and he's making that you know those sort of strides. But now he's got to push the ball downfield a little bit more. Um, he's has not been doing that. I think he's two for maybe sixteen on throws fifteen yards downfield this season mm-hmm. against Power Five teams. And that part's got to change. But the receivers also have to play better. Malik Neighbors said yesterday that, you know, himself, he was looking at the tape flying back from Auburn. 
and, and he was, looked, noticed that his footwork was sloppy coming out of his breaks, and he wasn't making contested catches. So it's an all-team thing. It doesn't fall on one person. And through it all, Daniels has been terrific. You know what I mean? I mean, without him, there's no way this team is the at the record that they have. But I, I think, as you mentioned, uh, the big boys are coming now, and you know you you got to be more effective. Uh, do you think? Do you do you think that the past what happened at Arizona State his sophomore season with more interception? You think he's a little hesitant too? try and force the ball to, uh, and and trust his receivers more? I actually asked him that exact question yesterday. He said no. He's not worried about turnovers, um, okay. that he you know, realizes it's football, you know, that those might happen at times, um, but that it's not something that he's you know, worried about, you know, not, not just pulling the trigger and, and, and releasing the ball and letting it rip, it, that, um, that it's more so uh, a trust thing between LSU's receivers and himself is what they were working on this week. Um, you know, they, not that it hadn't been there at all, but, you know, that was really what they, they had a players only meeting between the quarterbacks and the receivers on Monday. And mm-hmm. both Jaden and Malik were talking a lot yesterday about trust, um, that the receivers and the quarterbacks, they all needed to just work on that trust together, continue to develop that so that Jaden Daniels knows, okay, I can throw the ball downfield. They're going to go up and make the grab. And receivers know he's going to give us a chance. Um, and so that's what they've really been working on. Malik Neighbors thinks that anyway that it was really productive and that he um that they that were able to make some improvements off of that he's wilson alexander the advocate i, I played for a, a philosophical um coach in dale brown who motivator and all that and and we had a guy on our team and i'm, I'm gonna make this little quick story and bring it back to football he was a great player talented but if we didn't get him the ball early and get him to feel good about himself early, we lost him. If he did, then he'd go rebound. Then he'd go block shots. Then he'd, he'd, he would play. I think that's the same thing you got to do with Kayshawn Booty. I think you got to get him the ball early. I think he's one of those guys that, man, if you don't get him involved early, you're going to lose him. And that's what it seems like has happened this year. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand your analogy. It's interesting, though, because that hasn't been a problem you know, for pre-injury with Kayshawn. Now, LSU was getting him the ball, and it was more explosive anyway, so it wasn't even a topic of discussion. But, you know, he was uh, – that hadn't been an issue earlier in his career. And it, that's the thing. It's like he's the number one sort of easiest example to look at in terms of the issues in the passing game because, right, yeah, right. four games in, and he's got 11 catches for 97 yards. But part of that is also because he's still seeing a lot of double coverage that the LSU's other right. receivers aren't getting. And Brian Kelly said he's also still building trust with a new quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. Now he, you know, like, yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the 2020 season when he broke out and then in the 2021 season, it was all Max Johnson. And now he's got Jaden. It's a little bit of a different style, and they're kind of working through those things. Still, to be an elite receiver, it probably shouldn't matter who you got back there. And, and right. you know, so Kayshawn's got to do a better job of holding on to the football. He's had some really uncharacteristic drops. Like you said, there's been times when he just looks like he hasn't been completely engaged. And also LSU, as the coaching staff, Brian Kelly said, needs to get him the ball. Yeah, get him the ball early. When you saw against Southern, they got him the ball early. He had his best game. Now, of course, now they've got to be able to translate that right. to actual um, you know, top-tier competition. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to do some things with him in the Auburn game, like he ran a little end-around jet sweep, but there was a penalty. Um, yes. So, But you know, yes. you can't. you got to get him the ball more. 
I'm with you. Wilson Alexander, the advocate. All right. Tennessee, high-powered offense with a Heisman contending quarterback in Hendon Hooker. Um, you wrote a terrific article about how LSU has disguised their defense. They they have they they, they make the best in-game uh adjustments of any team I've seen since Saban's team. Um, and they do that. They they're gonna have to do that again against a high paced, up tempo type of an offense that's the best in the conference. How do they do it? What do you think is the plan here? Well, it's interesting, right? Because, yeah, LSU was so successful defensively against Mississippi State in particular with disguising fronts, yeah. you know, showing yeah. something and then actually doing something else completely different. They're not going to necessarily have time to do that unless they get into push Tennessee into third and longs, which is going to be a big key in this game. Tennessee is going to run really fast. They tend to mm-hmm. snap the ball with about 20 seconds still on the play clock. Now, that also means that they're not doing things that are super exotic in terms of motions and shifts. Um, they're getting up to the line of scrimmage. They're just having the ball. They're going. So LSU's going to have to be able to keep up with that. And Brian Kelly said it's going to come down to one-on-one matchups. LSU's got to win its one-on-ones on the defensive line in the secondary because a lot of this is just put your cleats in the grass and go play, go play fast. Right. And so LSU's not going to maybe necessarily have those times to do all the defensive um, you know, sort of exotic things that Matt House has been doing this year that's been re- working really well. Uh, they just got to go win one-on-ones and, and, and against uh, Tennessee's uh, receivers and, 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 you know, make life difficult on Hinton Hooker. Is there um, a, a, a worry of fatigue because you can't sub players in and out. Tennessee gets to the line of scrimmage too quick and they run a play. So who's ever on the field is going to stay on the field. Yeah, and, you know, that, and that gets into the questions about LSU's depth uh, and yes. different uh, spots, which is not uh, – it just isn't there yet because, you know, you're in year one with a new staff that, remember, earlier this year was a team, a roster that had less than 40 scholarship players in the Texas Bowl. And so, you know, yeah, there, that certainly I think is a concern. And that's where, where it'll be interesting to see what LSU does offensively because, you know, there's been some moments where they've been at their best using tempo. Well, if you go three and out and you're going really fast and you're leaving your defense on the field too long. And yeah. so LSU's probably going to have to really strike a balance there between doing what it needs to do offensively to score points and keep up while yeah. also, you know, having a little That's bit cool. of ball control. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they strike that balance if they're able to. Uh, Brian Kelly mentioned that, you know, we, we, the defense has practiced against Daniels all year long. And now here comes hooker. Who's kind of similar. He will run it. He will throw it. They have, I mean, the, they like the up-tempo type of thing. That's when Daniels is at his best. Um, with that being said, does is the game plan to put a spy, you think, on uh, on Hooker? And if so, uh, who would be the best? Would, would Perkins, the freshman, be the guy to because of his quickness and his speed and his his reactionary time? Would that be the guy to do that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, as you started that question, I was, it was immediately where my mind went was Harold Perkins because he is so fast and so athletic and is able to chase guys down sideline to sideline that he is, that's where he's been, why he's been so successful this year. LSU's been giving him small bits of the playbook. Just let him, you know, rush the passer or play as that spy and chase guys down on, you know, edge, on the edges. And he's been so good at it because of his speed and his athleticism. You know, he'll continue to grow and they'll give him more as he gets older. But right now, that's what his role is. And he's so effective in that. So it did, you know, it took a little bit maybe to, um, to get going against uh, Auburn in terms of, you know, having a guy coming out of the pocket. And, and LSU was struggling with that because they were really more expecting the run. But, you know, yeah, they, they need to spy in this game. Harold's going to be the guy. It's going to be a, it could be another big game for the true freshman. 
Yeah, the running game is going to be very important, as you mentioned, for LSU's offense, just to give their defense a breather. Armani Goodwin's going to be out for a while. But do you think the light came on for John Emery? That's the best I've seen him play ever as an LSU Tiger. He looked great, on the, on, particularly on that 20-yard touchdown he run. Sure Rugs did. the tackle in the backfield, sheds off two more, to, you know, giving himself plenty of time to high-step into the end zone. He looked just powerful, you know, and, yeah. and determined in, in a way that, yeah, like you said, hadn't always been there during his career. And he's still maybe shaking off a little bit of rust. And he's not going to be a 20-touch you know, guy a game because that's just not what else he's going to do with these running backs. Um, but you can see why he was a five-star. And maybe yeah, see if he continues to play better, kind of finally kind of live up to what everybody expected of, of a five-star running back like him coming into college. And, um, you know, Josh Williams still gives you some good things, though, as, as well. He played particularly well against Auburn. No, Kane had some good runs, too. And, of course, he had that big, long run against New Mexico. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to rotate all three. Uh, but the more that John Emery can give you, and particularly because he's just the most explosive out of the three and the most powerful, um, the better that your running game gets. And, yeah, just one quick thing. I mean, yeah, LSU has been running the ball better, particularly in the second half uh, recently. They start to lean on guys uh, on the offensive line, and it's giving the running back some holes. Are you surprised that uh, the line is only three points, Tennessee favored by three? Are you surprised by that? Um, not necessarily. I, I'm not like a expert when it comes to betting lines uh, anyway. Me neither. So I don't ever, ever quite know what to expect. But, you know, this is a home game in Tiger Stadium, and, and even it's sold out, um, which we'll actually yeah. see how many people are there. But that usually right. does mean there'll be a, a nice crowd. Um, and so even though it's 11 a.m., you know, the home you know, and then also this is a Tennessee defense that has not have a good pass defense. And so maybe it's kind of actually the perfect medicine for LSU with its passing game struggles to be going up against this Tennessee team. Um, you know, they played a close game against Pitt, had to come back in that one. Uh, right. it was a close game at the end against Florida as well. So it could end up being a close game with LSU too, and um, we'll see who has a chance to win at the end. Yeah, this is their second road game. Um, uh, as you mentioned, they did, uh, they did beat Pitt, and I just lost. I had a great question for you. And I lost my train of thought. My goodness gracious sakes alive. Um, Oh, Wilson, it's killing me. It was a great question, and I forgot what it was. Um, Anyway, uh, with that in mind, it seems to me it's Tennessee's offense versus LSU's defense, but LSU's offense is going to have to carry its weight. And they've had some crazy games in this series, Um, crazy games in this thing. So keys to victory for you. Uh, as we wrap this all up for LSU to to come up there and and upset the eighth ranked team in the country, uh, first one that comes to mind is kind of what we mentioned earlier: get them into the third down and long. Um, right. Make sure them not be able to use that tempo as much uh, to give yourself some rest on the defensive side. Got to win your one on ones. Um, run the football effectively. Um, you know, like you said, if LSU can kind of control the ball and not let Tennessee have a bunch of drives um, and, and run the ball well, then and that will probably help. And, and just, you know, they don't need to necessarily – we're talking so much about the development in the passing game. Yeah, they need to push the ball downfield some more, but they also don't necessarily need to throw for 350 yards in this game. Um, mm-hmm. But they just need to be effective in the passing game, be um, – a lot more so than we've seen, certainly, you know, higher completion percentage and, and just push it a little bit more um, so that they can get themselves uh, into sustainable longer drives than what we've seen and do so earlier in the game. Because LSU, um, I mean, is averaging about 69 yards passing in the first half this year against Power 5 teams. they got to get off to a little bit of a quicker start 
um, because you don't want to suddenly look up at the scoreboard yeah. and see yourself down 17 nothing again. That worked against Auburn, but Tennessee has a kind of offense um, that it could continue, could just hold on to that lead and make it really difficult to come back in the second half again. Got, yeah, got to make field goals if you can't get in the end zone. LSU's only uh, compl- converting sixty percent of their field goal attempts, and boy, you would uh, you would love for that turnover margin. It's plus five for the season in these kind of games. That that's that's the the key, man. How do you can you can you create a turnover in some form or fashion? We saw how it bit LSU against Florida State. We saw how it helped LSU against Auburn. Um, that's uh, that seems to be a, a winning formula as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, turnovers in any game are going to be huge. We, like you said, saw it come up so big against Auburn, and it's going to be tough because uh, Hinton Hooker and uh, Jaden Daniels are like two quarterbacks who have not thrown a pick. Um, yeah. So if the defense can can do that to either one of them, then that's going to clearly make it end up making a difference in this game. Also, you just got to you know protect the football. Else, you got to play a lot better in special teams. Um, there's, yeah. a, there's a range of things. Um, oh, I know what I was going to well. ask you. You know, Brian Kelly said this week that they've been getting by a little bit on fight and determination. Now they got to yeah. start to clean things up, uh, and that certainly is going to be important this week. Ding! It finally came to me uh, after the big win against Mississippi State, after the shutout against New Mexico, and you saw this team ascending. Did did LSU take a tiny step back, albeit in a win, and albeit on the road? Did they take a tiny step back, or do you still feel comfortable and confident about this club yeah a little bit of a step back you know it's a road environment Auburn had a good crowd there um, yep. but what was particularly I think maybe what you saw a step back was yeah in the passing game which had I mean it was a sudden drop off it wasn't like LSU yes. had done like lit everybody up through the air but like to go from where they had been to throwing 85 yards that was a step back clearly and then also mm-hmm. defensively I mean they gave up 247 yards to the air in the first half, and there was just some busted coverages, miscommunications that you hadn't seen since the Florida State game. Things that they had completely cleaned up, and they were playing really well. And they ended up, obviously, clearly, the defense was a major part of that game, but it was just like right. seeing that those sorts of receivers breaking open. It was like, okay, you hadn't seen that uh, really at all this season. And, and so it, it was a little bit of a step back. But like when Leak Neighbors said yesterday, rather – have those little step backs and still manage to win the game, and especially with your, where you're at right now as a team. Sometimes you know people talk about, okay, we lose the game, we learn something. But where LSU is right now as a program, you need those wins to continue to build confidence. And so to be able to win the game, but also have all those things to harp on, uh, is kind of what you, you know, at least a positive, I guess, that you can pull out of it. Not only is Wilson Alexander a terrific scribe, but he is terrific on the radio. And I can't thank you enough, man. uh, You just keep getting better and better. Keep up the great work, and we certainly appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you, Jordy. That's very kind of you. I appreciate you having me on. Have a great rest of your day. It is the truth. Thank you so much, Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com, and help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, or a $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so go and sign up today. We're back after this final time out here on the Jordy Helpert Show. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game.
1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back this, uh, in conjunction with Aaron Judge hitting uh, home run number 62 last night. The Houston Astros nearly made baseball history coming within an inning of becoming the first team ever to throw two combined no-hitters in the season. The near no-hitter came in a 10-zip win over the Phillies. Remember, go back to June 25th. The Astros threw a combined no-hitter with Christian Javier, Ryan Presley, and Hector Neris. No team has ever pulled it off twice in a season. Now, the subplot was Justin Verlander. Um, he, he started the game. He was dominant through five innings, striking out 10, walking one in those no-hit innings. He'd thrown 77 pitches. was pulled for the game because it was meaningless. Uh, but Verlander should have locked up his third Cy Young Award uh, last night. He ends the season 18-4 and with a 175 ERA. He'll end the season leading the American League in wins. Winning percentage, ERA, and whip. He's got 185 strikeouts in 175 innings. Not only would it be his third Cy Young, but he also has an MVP, and he finished second in the Cy Young voting three times. So the Hall of Fame resume keeps growing. As for the run at the no-hitter, relievers Hunter Brown and Naris navigated the Phillies lineup through the eighth inning without allowing a hit. It was Garrett Stubbs leaving off the ninth with a single against lefty Will Smith to break it up. Bryce Harper, Derek Hall would follow with singles before Smith struck out three straight hitters to end the game. The Astros moved to 105 wins, only 56 losses on the season. They're locked in to the top AL seed in the playoffs and trail just the Dodgers from the NL side. They'd be looking for their fourth AL pennant in the last six seasons and their second World Series title paired with 2017 during that run. Again, it's the Astros and the Phillies here on the game coming up at 3 o'clock. So um, keep it tuned in right here uh, for that. We want to thank John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel uh, for his um, analysis on the volunteers this year as they come into town undefeated. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate talking about the Tigers after their opening loss, which they gave away to Florida State. They've won four in a row. They got better and better and better. Took a little bitty step back against Auburn, but they won the game on the road, and that's quite the accomplishment. Tomorrow, uh, hump day with Huguenin plus one. Michael Huguenin will join us and share his thoughts on uh, what was last week in college football, what will be this weekend in college football. The Schwab will join us. Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports will get all his thoughts and predictions on um, the NFL, which uh, gets underway Thursday night. Denver uh, is back in in the fray. Um, so can you know, are, are they going to be the team that they thought with uh, with Russell Wilson? Uh, I don't know. Indianapolis at Denver. Indianapolis, one of the most surprising teams. Um Matt Ryan goes over there at quarterback. They got all the pieces in play, and now their star running back, Jonathan Taylor, is out for this game on Thursday. Uh, this is at Denver. Uh, give me the Broncos all day long, all night long. So that's going to wrap us up today. Pels get a good win. Um, Zion looked terrific. The whole team looked good. Dyson Daniels looked really good in his debut as a rookie. Um, you know, the they got some stuff there, man. And when they get Brandon Ingram back in the lineup and uh, Trey Palmer, they're, they're good. They're good. They're going to be good. 
Uh, you know, the over under for them now is like 45 wins, um, which is a lot more than they had a year ago. Uh, so the main goal is get into the playoffs, not to play in, get into the playoffs. going to be difficult, but if they can stay healthy, I don't know if there's a better offensive team out there. I don't know. We'll see. Plenty of time left for that. All right, James, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for listening in. Thanks to our partners that make it possible each and every day. We'll be back tomorrow for our regular two to four time slot. So until then, enjoy the Astros here on the game. And stay thirsty, my friends. Stay healthy. Let's be kind to one another. By all means, be happy. So long, everybody.